Hello, hello. It's great to see you again, and welcome back to another installment of Modern Wealth Management. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. It's great to see you. Great to have you back with us today. If you are joining us on a podcasting platform or even YouTube after the fact, it's great to have you with us. And then, of course, those that are coming in here on the Facebook Live with us this morning, great to have you live with us today. If you do have any questions or comments on the discussion that Derek and I jump into today, feel free to leave a comment or question below. We'll take some time at the end of the show to you know, answer your thoughts and feelings and try and get back to you on those. Um, so just wanted to throw that out there before we get rocking and rolling today. Obviously, we've got Derek Hutchins with us from Monon Wealth Management. He'll be joining me momentarily. But first, I want to kind of lay a framework as to what today's conversation is going to be about. As many of you know, we spend a lot of our conversations talking about wealth management strategies, you know, those good decisions that can be made to help bolster your financial well-being. Well, today we're going to be talking about the mistakes, actually, the things that we're seeing the super rich not doing, those costly mistakes that they are avoiding. Because think about it, at the end of the day, the bad financial decisions that you avoid can be just as important as the good financial decisions that are made. And of course, Derek and his team over at Monon have seen it all. So we're going to go ahead and bring Derek in to kind of shed some light on this as to what some of these mistakes look like. And then, of course, how the super rich are going about avoiding these mistakes. So, Derek, how are you doing this morning? Good to see you, man. Hey, good morning, Ryan. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this because you're absolutely right. Um, There is a lot to be learned, not just by what the super wealthy do, but what they Mm -hmm. don't do in uh, acquiring and then keeping their wealth. So I'm excited to talk about this. Right. Yeah. Twofold acquiring and then keeping. So Derek, my first question for you is let's like start with a high level overview, if you will. So do you find that highly successful people, clients that you guys work with at Monon are adept at, you know, not just making those smart financial moves, the good ones, but staying away from the costly mistakes. Do you guys find that on a regular basis? We do. Uh, You know, I've been in this industry now for 22 years, and over that time frame, it's given me an a interesting perspective on wealth. Uh, I've gotten an opportunity to talk with a lot of wealthy people and some that have never become wealthy um, and ask them, you know, how did you end up at this place? What did you do? Uh, and then once you know a relationship builds, I can see at that point uh, what their preferences are moving forward, how they choose to take action or not take action, what's important to them and what's not important. And it's interesting, Ryan, to contrast uh, individuals on the extreme success spectrum Sure. Uh, and see how they make decisions and how that contrasts to to most everybody else. Sure. So, so Derek, in that same vein, if we're looking at some of those individuals that have an extreme level of wealth, the super rich, as you know, we often refer to them on this show. Are yeah. there, you know, what if somebody's sitting here thinking, well, obviously I'm nowhere near that level of wealth. What can I learn from a group of people like that? What can they learn from a group of people like that? Listen, um, well, super wealthy people, you know, those individuals, I think, you know, we've in the past defined them as individuals with 500 million or more. But I would say in this climate, I mean, if you have a a liquid net worth of 20 million or more in my world, you are highly, highly successful and you've done extremely well by yourself. And 
So, um, you know, when, when I think about those individuals, you know, I think that there's lessons to be learned. You know, they may not be, they may not be great parents. Uh, they may not be great philanthropists. They may not be good neighbors, but what they have been good at is uh, acquiring and maintaining and growing their wealth. And that's really, you know, I think that that's what we're here to talk about. Mm -hmm. If you want to know how they parent, that's a completely different show. But uh, for the rest of us, you know, if we're going to model our wealth building behavior after anybody, it should be somebody that's already had the kind of success that we want to have. Sure. So in my mind, um, that's why it's so important to know what this group of people have done and, as you say, what they haven't done. Well, I think we've laid a pretty nice framework. Let's start to unpack this here. What, what's this, what's a first really, you know, a mistake that you're seeing the, those super rich individuals tend to avoid on maybe a, a weekly, yearly basis? What are you seeing on this front? Well, I'm going to start off with what I really think is the most important. And, mm -hmm. and quite frankly, on uh, October 26, 2021, I think that this really, really resonates. Um, we see the wealthy and the super wealthy, the, the individuals that we aspire to, to grow our wealth like, we see them have very clear goals and have a smaller appetite for chasing shiny objects. There, uh, the reason that I wanted to use the date here uh, is because in today's world, tw late 2021, I am seeing a tremendous amount of what we call FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And <clears throat> what's interesting is, is that it's not my wealthiest clients that are calling me uh, regarding the latest SPAC or the latest cryptocurrency or trying to time the market. As a matter of fact, I don't get any calls about those topics from my wealthiest clients. They're completely disinterested. Uh, they have their goals in mind. We've built a plan to hit those goals and they are less likely to be distracted by, by some of this other stuff that's going on. Uh, I love it when you know a client <clears throat> maybe a, a less successful client calls me up and says, Hey, you know, my friend says this and will give me some kind of an investment theme, an investment product, something. Um, and my first question lately has been, is that, is your friend rich? Mm -hmm. Are they wealthy? Well, no. Then what are you doing listening to them? Because what I find is that it's the uh, it's not the top end of my clients. It's not the wealthiest clients that are listening. If they listen to advice, um, they're, they're listening to advice from people who have been more successful on that spectrum than what they've been. So in this environment where there is, it's really easy to chase, you know, to chase some new investment theme or investment in the new investment product. The first thing I will tell you is, is that the extreme, extremely wealthy out there, 
they don't do it. They don't have the time. They don't have the interest. And they are so clear, clearly focused in on their goals that it, they're, they're less distracted by some of this noise out there. Derek, that is a really interesting point to hear you say, because obviously at the end of the day, the goal is to, you know, continue to generate and then of course maintain your wealth. We set the stage at the yeah. beginning, but you know, you would think that, Hey, looking out for that latest and greatest strategy would be, you know, a driving force in helping to do that. But really this is a goal oriented conversation that starts at the beginning with your clients. So from, from the, the, you know, the audience's perspective, what's the lesson to really be learned here? What is there to gain from, you know, focusing on more of the goal oriented discussion than the products and services discussion? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, to have your goals clearly defined, Know what it is you're trying to achieve. And then once you have those goals clearly defined, stay steadfast in achieving them. Um, you know, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, we were talking about investment products and so forth, and that's interesting once you've acquired wealth. But that exact same behavior could be illustrated while those individuals were building their wealth. Ryan, I have clients, friends, associates, um, you know, uh, you know, just people in the community for which that I know that have become extremely wealthy through all kinds of different means, all kinds of different industries. You know, everything from as glamorous as uh, technology to, you know, one of the one of the businesses that I'm most excited about right now is a, a friend of mine owns an excavating company uh, where basically he digs sewers, okay? Not real glamorous, but let me tell you something. Any, in any of these different businesses, if you stay focused and you really try and grow that business, that is your best chance of becoming extremely wealthy, having goals and staying steadfast in achieving them. I know of a whole nother segment of people who have constantly chased whatever the hot industry is of that time. You know, when it was mortgages, they jumped to mortgages. When it was technology, then all of a sudden they were uh, trying to start an internet company. And now all of a sudden they're all Bitcoin miners, okay? None of those people that I, none of those people that jump around from industry to industry I don't know of anybody that has done that that has become extremely wealthy. Yet, like I said, on the other hand, I know of lots of people who've been in, quote unquote, the wrong industries mm -hmm. and have made it big. So it's kind of like this. Um, it's this methodology, this this psychology that says, you know, pick something and stick with it and ignore what everybody else is doing with social media and um, you know uh, hundreds of different news channels and news outlets and our phone dinging all the time it's easy to get distracted mm -hmm. so i would say that you know one of the first things that the wealthy don't do they don't get distracted by what everybody else is doing 
Derek, I absolutely love that. That's such an important topic. I mean, twofold, really. It's it's defining and staying on top of your goals and what you want to achieve. But also, the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. You know, stay with your plan. Stick, you know, stay steadfast like you had mentioned. And boy, can that work wonders for your wealth and help you avoid that costly mistake, which is ultimately the theme of our show today. So, Derek, you know, shifting gears to maybe another mistake, maybe one that's not as massive that you're seeing with clients today, just in discussions and and whatnot. Uh, is there another mistake that you tend to see popping up every now and then? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, the the second thing is, is that um, our wealthiest clients tend to hire the best professionals and uh, accurate, you know, or, you know, and, and pay them appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the wealthiest people out there acknowledge that, hey, if I'm going to stay on track and continue to do the stuff that I'm supposed to do, that means that there's a whole bunch of other things that I can't be paying attention to. So I have to hire the right professionals to do that. And so what I find is that um, is that the extreme wealthy tend to work with the best professionals, uh, incorporate them not just as uh, you know a hired gun, but almost as a teammate. Okay, sure. they bring them into the team, and then they work collaboratively with those professionals. You know, on the other hand, people who are less successful, you may say, oh, well, they. You know, maybe they don't have enough. They don't have as much money, so they can't hire the right professionals. Well, I, I guess that there there could be something to be said for that. But I think that you know one of the reasons that the wealthy have become wealthy is again they've picked something that they're con- they can focus in on, and then they acknowledge that hey, I've got to stay. These other things still have to be done, so I have to bring those people in. I've seen a lot of studies, uh, Ryan, where you know, people, they talk about, you know, acquiring wealth. And, you know, if you can envision somebody that, you know, makes it to 20 million and above of liquid net worth, well, their per hour rates got to be pretty high to get them there, right? I can imagine so. So, you know, let's just say that their per hour rate is, I don't know, let's just say it's a thousand bucks an hour. Okay. Well, what that means is that they literally cannot afford to do any tasks that they can hire out for less than a thousand an hour, Mm -hmm. cut their grass. Can't do it. It's too expensive, right? They can't take 90 minutes at a thousand an hour to cut their own grass. Um, you know, put new siding up on their house. Can't afford to do it. Okay. They can't afford that. Because uh, at a thousand an hour, that's going to turn into what, like a, you know, a forty thousand dollar job. Mm-hmm. So that same mentality, okay, it doesn't mean that you have to be making a thousand dollars an hour, but what it does mean is that you got to recognize, hey, I, you know, when I'm doing my most valuable work, I'm worth a lot more than forty bucks an hour, which is what I pay the guy to cut my grass. And that's at the low end, mm-hmm. okay? But what these people also do is that they don't pick their own stocks. They don't study their own tax strategy. They don't get onto LegalZoom 
and uh, pay and and try and do their own will or their estate planning. They don't uh, they don't become cryptocurrency experts at any point that they want to that they think that they need any of this. They go out, they find the best people for the job, and they pay them to do what they do best in those different categories so that they can keep on doing what they do best. I love that. Derek, it, co- it comes back to that age-old adage, it takes a village. And in this case, or when it when it comes to maintaining and continuing to grow that wealth, it does take a village, a village of consummate professionals. You know, those that work together in cohesion, like you said, not a hired gun, but a team to really help elevate that uh, that portfolio. So that being said, when a, you know, super affluent, super rich individual is looking to assemble that team. What do they look for in these consummate professionals? What kind of characteristics, you know, work ethic? What, what are we looking like here? Well, you know, I think that most professionals want to do well. Mm-hmm. Okay. They want to do well by their clients. I, I think that, you know, just talk about my industry, wealth management, for example. I think that most most wealth managers out there do have a vested interest and in, in, in the heart to try and do well by their clients. But it does require more than just good intentions to actually be a great professional. You have to have the resources, the experience, the connections, and the team to really get that done. And that's tough for that's tough for somebody that's outside of our industry to to gauge, okay? You come into somebody's office, hey, it looks nice. They got a, you know, they've got a, a nice looking office. It looks like they've got a team. It looks like they have a nice suit on, you know. I mean, quite frankly, it's kind of tough to tell us apart sometimes, mm-hmm. okay? And that's one reason that what we find is that at the top end of the, the wealth spectrum, that that's not how they're picking their advisors and their uh, professionals. They're picking them through referrals from um, from other professionals. So for example, if you need a great tax attorney, well, you may talk with the, uh, the wealth manager that you're currently working with to see, hey, do you know of somebody that might that might help out with this? And certainly somebody that's in that business uh, would have a different perspective, probably a better perspective on who's actually doing good work. So first and foremost, is is that they're picking professionals through referrals from other professionals. All right. Mm-hmm. The um, the second way is is that I think that most people want to do business with professionals who are at the top of their game. Okay. Sure. And so um, thought leadership becomes important. You know, are the professionals that you're working with are they putting things out there? Are they an industry expert? Are they uh, are they speaking on things like this live podcast to, mm-hmm. to, to give ideas out there? Are they writing books? Are they doing presentations? Um, those are important too, because that again is saying that this person isn't um, isn't just mildly doing their job. They are a they are a vested professional that is constantly trying to improve their skill set. And would therefore those skills would translate to better outcomes for the clients. 
Sure, sure. Roger that. So there's kind of two veins there in terms of making the right decisions to build that that team of professionals around you. Uh, Derek, shifting kind of maybe to a third and final mistake, uh, do you have anything that you're seeing um, that clients should be avoiding or, or that the super rich rather avoid in their, their best practices? Well, you know, I think that as we talk about avoiding mistakes, mm-hmm. I think that the third thing we can talk about is what kind of process should I go through to make sure that I'm not making mistakes? And mm-hmm. um, and I think of two different things. You know, you have second opinions and stress tests. Mm. Okay, and um, and sometimes it's easy. You know, it's easy to get those two confused. So let's talk about them. Yeah. You know, a second opinion. We're used to that terminology as it relates to the the healthcare profession. Um, you know, if you were on your way to, you know, if you had something wrong with your heart and you were told that, um, that there was some type of a procedure, a risky procedure in order to get that done or in order to fix it, well, you might seek out a second opinion before you went under the knife. Okay. So a second opinion is typically is something that you would use before you would implement a strategy. Uh, for example, if you um, if you were thinking about implementing some kind of a new a new tax program, well, you might before you do that, you might want to go get a second opinion mm-hmm. from another tax professional to make sure that this is you know that this is that, that there isn't a better solution or something that you're missing. So that's, you know, that's a second opinion. The the second thing that we talked about there was the stress test. And the stress test is really done typically after after you've already got a plan in place and maybe it's been running for a little while. At that point, um, you know, everything is set up and it's not like you're ready to shift gears, but it does mean that Hey, maybe a second set of eyes just to make sure that, uh, you know, everything that I'm trying to do is still lined up with what my goals are throughout the years. Uh, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for 22 years. I think I've seen estate tax laws change seven or eight different times. Wow. And so, you know, if you had an estate planning strategy that was put together even 10 years ago, well, that's significantly out of date. There needs to be, you know, a stress test would re, would uh, would show that, hey, you know, what you put together ten years ago is no longer the best course of action to 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 get that money to your heirs with the least amount of tax consequences. You know, what was done ten years ago is kind of it's out of date, and that can be said for a lot of different things. So, you know, we talked about staying focused, and that's important. But it doesn't mean that you take your eye off the ball Mm -hmm. and keeping your eye on the ball oftentimes means that periodically you bring in uh, and maybe another group or somebody from the outside to stress test the situation and just make sure that from their perspective, everything is still lined up. If it's not, then obviously you can address it and decide what you want to do from there. But um, but th- those are two different things and, and maybe some different timings that you might use a, a second opinion versus a stress test. 
Sure. You know, you almost took the words right out of my mouth because I did want to ask you about that. But as a quick note to our audience, you know, Derek, you and I have, have covered stress testing in episodes in the past. So if this is a concept that may be a little foreign to anybody that's checking us out today and it's on the Facebook live stream or watching the episode, please travel back. I mean, we have some great discussions surrounding the inner workings of a stress test. There's a lot of great stuff that goes on in there to test your portfolio. So head on back, make sure you check that episode out. But Derek, yes, when looking at these two different things, the second opinion versus the stress test, are there differences or when you should use one versus the other in, you know, how to, um, you know, mitigate a certain circumstance? Well, I think, I think again, it's a, you know, you would use a second opinion before you implement mm -hmm. uh, a new idea and a stress test after you have implemented and let that run its course. Stress tests are typically designed when there's been a, either a change in the client situation or in uh, legislation. So tax laws, estate planning laws, investments, uh, you know, the world changes as we know over yes. time and so do you as a person. And so periodically getting a stress test and just making sure that everything that you're still using, I would say best in class for every piece of your wealth management. That's, that's really what a stress test would be lined up for. And what I would say is, is, uh, you know, anybody that's, that's interested in the, in, in a stress test, not only is there, uh, some, some previous episodes, but we've got some great material here in our office. Uh, we put out, um, uh, some detailed information about how stress tests are performed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know how they. You know how do we do it? How can they get signed up for it? Uh, what would that look like, and what would be the potential outcomes from that? So, um, I, I do want to throw that out there. Yeah, Derek, if somebody was interested in going through that stress testing process or, or frankly, just reaching out to you guys to continue this kind of conversation that we're having today, how would somebody go about best reaching out to you guys and getting that ball rolling? Well, you can find us on uh, mononwealth.com. That's our website. And from there, you obviously can uh, you can sign up to talk with us. We've got our phone numbers and our, our email addresses on there as well. And really, it's just a matter of raising your hand and saying, hey, I saw your podcast and I'm interested in, in what you were talking about. Uh, talk with us a little bit. We'll evaluate whether a stress test or a second opinion might be appropriate for you. And then we can go from there. Stress tests can uh, be as specific to one specific topic like estate planning. Mm -hmm. Or it can be a little bit more broader where it says, hey, you know, I'd like for you to stress test our entire wealth management plan and see if there's any gaps or anything that um, we could improve upon as it relates to investments, uh, taxes, estate planning, charitable giving and wealth protection. Those are typically the things that were um, that were aimed at, at making sure you really that our clients are well, well taken care of. Awesome. Well, Derek, in summary, you know, we covered three different really, you know, mistakes that we're seeing the super rich avoid making. And, and it starts with the first one, as you defined, is really setting the goals, making sure you don't, you know, deviate away from your goals and the path that you set. You know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Uh, secondarily, it was building the right team of professionals around you, getting trusted advisors to work with you uh, to help continue to generate that wealth and to push it forward into the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years. And finally, of course, getting a second opinion and a stress test to make sure that you're, you're, you're 
your strategy is in fact the right one moving forward, given tax law changes and everything else that changes in our world that we see so much. So really appreciate you kind of breaking down some of these mistakes that we're seeing the super rich avoid some of the strategies they're implementing. Is there anything else you'd want to share with us before we wrap up our conversation today on this front? You know, I would just emphasize that for all of us out there that are not yet super rich, uh, we need to, you know, one of the reasons that we study this group of people is because they hold something, you know, they're not exceptional people, right? They've just done a few things right around their wealth creation, growth, and protection that is probably better than what we're doing now. So we study these people hard so that we can then take these strategies and bring it down to, to people like me and people like you, Ryan, and say, you know, who are not yet super rich, but yet, you know, would like the insights as to what they, you know, what this group of people are doing so that maybe we can implement or steal just a couple of their ideas to help move us up the ladder of success. I love that. Well, Derek, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day this morning to, to be with us and to share your insights on the matter. And I'm looking forward to jumping back aboard with you for another episode here, uh, you know, in the coming weeks. All right. Thanks, Ryan. And look, hey, we want to take one final moment here to thank you, our audience, for jumping aboard here on today's Facebook live stream or after the fact, if you are with us on a podcast or YouTube, all the same. We appreciate you being here at the end of the day. These conversations, they're meant for you. As Derek just mentioned, there's a lot of lessons to be learned, a lot of insights that we can pluck from the super rich. And we've got a lot of great conversations still ahead of us on this show that we don't want you to miss out on. So for Derek Hutchins, I'm Ryan Ruff saying so long. And we thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of Modern wealth management.